Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. Today, we are our topic is Indigenous wellness and cultural safety. I'm Kelly, and I have Kim in the co-host seat today. And we are joined by Jazina Bear and Tammy White Quills Knights. Jazina and Tammy's bios are posted to the podcast module, but I'm hoping we can start with each of you giving us just a quick introduction and briefly telling us about the path that brought you to where you are today. Maybe Jazina, we'll start with you. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm so excited to be here and I'm really happy to be able to chat about the topic. My name is Jazina. I am a First Nations community pharmacist. I graduated from the University of Alberta in 2020 and I was actually the first Indigenous graduate from the program. So I'm really proud and excited about that. Uh, and I'm also the only healthcare professional from my nation. I'm Songhees First Nation, which is located in Victoria, BC. I started in pharmacy. I actually wanted to be a pharmacist since I was 15. I heard a random drug fact about medication when I was in high school and I got so interested in different pharmacology that I really decided that was it. I'm going to be a pharmacist. And so that was what I knew I wanted to do in high school. I got into pharmacy when I was in university. And I always say that um, in my second year, there was the PDW conference, the student conference, and it was held in Edmonton. And I went and at that conference, I heard Dr. Jaris Swidrovich speak. And he is the first Indigenous doctor of pharmacy in Canada. When I heard him speak, that was the very first time that I realized that I could be I always say I realized I could be an Indigenous pharmacist, not just a pharmacist who was Indigenous. And so from that meeting with uh, and that presentation with Juris, it really shaped the rest of my degree to be more focused on Indigenous health. And so I've had a lot of amazing opportunities, and that's what has led me here to this space. Okay, I'm just going to stop already. So, Jacina, just tell me, what is an Indigenous pharmacist as opposed to a pharmacist who is Indigenous? Because I do love how you have phrased this, and I want to hear more. To me, it was more the idea, like, I never thought that you could combine pharmacy with an Indigenous perspective. It was always, for me, that I was... A person who was Indigenous, but I was coming into a Western world of medicine and a Western institution. And that is how I would practice the same as everybody else. I really just felt like my identity as an Indigenous person didn't belong in the world of pharmacy, didn't have space in the world of pharmacy, or that it wasn't necessary or valuable in what we were learning. And when I heard Jairus speak, that was the first time that I realized that those experiences of being an Indigenous person and of learning pharmacy and being a pharmacist, the blend of those experiences was really unique, but also really helpful to patients and to the healthcare spaces that I was in. And I became a lot more empowered to really share my experiences as an Indigenous person within these Western healthcare spaces. Awesome. All right, Tammy, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, everyone. Welcome. Um, so a bit about myself. I first of all, I would like to acknowledge my my land where I come from. So I come from Kaina First Nation on beautiful traditional Blackfoot territory that also includes Siksika Nation, South and North Bikani Nations and home to Sutina Nation and Stony Nakoda Nations, all located in Treaty 7 and 
the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. So myself, my career and passion has always been in the area of health, wellness, and injury prevention. In the past 41 years of work, working in various areas under the continuum of care, from first contact to end of life, I had the opportunity to work on and off reserve, working in local, regional, provincial, that's Alberta government and national organization. This gave me the opportunity to share and transfer knowledge and lived experience to the people that I worked with. And in my experience through my career, I've always looked at things as it's not a one size fits all. I believe that we need to be respectful of who the indiv individuals you are serving and be aware of the cultural differences. So that kind of prompt my career, but also uh, my mother was a very advocate to the people that she served. She was the first Indigenous director in our uh, female director in our community. Um, my mom had an open door policy. I would say our place, our home was a revolving door for children and youth coming through there. Her passion to help people um, just kind of extend it to me and I was very close to my mom so I learned she was my role model so I learned a lot from her and since then I've pursued higher level of education work experience in the various areas and just to expand my knowledge and find a way where I can make a change or different for Indigenous population. Great. Thanks, Tammy. Okay, we have a lot to talk about today, and I'm looking forward to getting into it. So our conversation today, we're going to focus on Indigenous health and wellness, and really the next steps about how to support Indigenous people that we're providing care to. Throughout the podcast so far, we've really learned that providing a safe space involves person-centered care. And so if we're providing care to an Indigenous person and truly centering Indigenous wellness, I think we need to know more about it. So I'm hoping we can chat about that a little bit. And Tammy, you mentioned your involvement with the Canadian Medical Association, and I saw on your profile page with them that you, there's a quote that you're a believer that everything related to health and wellness is interconnected. And I thought that was such a powerful quote. And I was hoping you could share a little bit more on your view on health and wellness and, and how everything is interconnected. In the work that I've done, um, like I said, uh, 41 years working in the continuum of care and uh, from first contact to end of life, like I've worked in, the, in that space, um, I believe that looking at an individual as a whole in terms of a holistic approach, right? So we, as Indigenous people, we believe we're all connected to our spiritual, physical, mental, and emotional being. Um, they're all interconnected and have a relationship and a function in terms of wholeness, right? That's where the term, I believe, wholeness, uh, holistic comes from. When there's a breakdown in one area, it has an adverse effect on in the other areas in terms of your health, well-being, and quality of life. Furthermore, looking at health and social landscape, we look at social determinants of health. As it's a term that often comes up. So when we look at that wellness um, of the community you serve, you, you need to kind of uh, look at 
the person as a whole, not uh, parts of the person, just there for medication, but really look at what are some of those areas that are impacting individual, right? I'm not a pharmacist, but I'm just speaking from my knowledge. So when we talk about medication that's prescribed, there's often costs associated with that. And not everyone has financial resources to pay for meds. And, may, and a lot of times it may come down to a decision. Should I feed my family or is it more important I take my pills and medication? So understanding other factors that play a role and not be labeled as non-compliant, but really look at that holistic approach. So these little things do have an impact on the individual's health and wellness. That's where <clears throat> I believe there's that interconnectedness. And now, Jazina, you, when you're in practice, you speak about the medicine wheel, essentially, in, in many different forms. Now, how can you speak to us about how Western or colonial medicine, how it can kind of coexist within the Indigenous wellness and, and how we as pharmacy professionals can, can sort of start to provide a little bit more of that information or even just have it in our, in our wheelhouse a little bit more so we can provide better care? Yeah, totally. And I always say, like, when we look at the medicine wheel, like Tammy is saying, there's mental, emotional, physical, spiritual health, and physical health. Pharmacists know a lot about physical health. That's where we reside primarily. But this problem with well, a lot of Western systems is that everybody is siloed. We look at our organizations, there's different departments, and the departments don't talk to each other. We look at our healthcare system, there's different healthcare access points and those healthcare access points don't communicate. Western society in a lot of different ways is siloed. And if when we look at our mental, emotional, physical, spiritual health, we've even siloed the care of those health, you know, spiritual health will go to a church, physical health will go to our healthcare system, emotional, mental health will go to a therapist. And so already in Western society, all of those things are siloed. I think that from an indigenous worldview, like Tammy is saying, that is unnatural, right? Everything is interconnected when we look at health. So even when I was studying to become a pharmacist, as I was learning, and as I was trying to reconcile my identity with what I was learning, it didn't make sense to me that I could practice with only focusing on the physical aspect. And when I talk to other pharmacists, to me, it makes sense. Everybody is intimately aware, I think, of these other aspects of health. I just think that Western society doesn't place as big of a focus of importance, or more so we make it an individual issue. Individuals need to look after their own emotional health, their own mental health, their own spiritual health, their own physical health. Indigenous health, though, is collective. I like to say, you know, it's intergenerational. I would love to be able to have healthcare access that includes my grandparents, you know, my parents, me, that really is something that we can continue our strong intergenerational ties. I think for the average pharmacist, it just becomes actually granting ourselves permission to practice more than just in the physical realm. And so when I started practicing as a pharmacist, I remember I had a lot of, a lot of agonizing about professionalism. And the idea that once we start thinking as healthcare professionals, that we also can contribute to our patients' emotional, mental, and spiritual health, we start looking at the concepts of 
professionalism because professionalism tells us that healthcare professionals must be sterile like their environment. You know, if we look at therapy, Western therapy, it says you're never supposed to share your life experience with your clients. And yes, those have spaces. And definitely I have noticed still in my practice that a more trauma informed approach is really having a very, a very mellow demeanor that that mellow or calm or a trusting demeanor does not negate me practicing as myself as a pharmacist. And so I think it's more about individual pharmacists thinking about what even mental, emotional, spiritual health looks like and giving themselves permission to see that as part of health. Because right now we only see a valid part of health is physical health. And so when it looks like things, when you're looking at different aspects of health, how often are we looking at our patients and not looking at them as you know, just one aspect of health. I think for me, it's the idea, like when I practice, for example, I don't wear a white coat and I never have because I don't believe in reinforcing the power dynamics that Western healthcare perpetuates. And I think obviously, as we move towards patient-centered care, we move away from paternalistic healthcare, all of those things, we've seen that in pharmacy. For me, not wearing a white coat is that extra step where I go, I don't know more about somebody's health than them. It would be very arrogant to think that you could know more about another person's health than themselves. What I have, though, is very specific pharmacy and health knowledge. I also recognize that that knowledge is based off of Western studies done on Western people and not, you know, how our our medical system, our evidence, everything like that, right? It's still a very... Western perspective behind that. And so I think when we practice, it's almost like allowing ourselves to remove the perceived barriers between us and our patients and the perceived barriers between physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Because in reality, like Tammy is saying, it's all interconnected. There's no walls between them. The health is so interconnected. And I think it's just really reframing our perspective and giving ourselves permission as a society as a whole to say the whole person matters. But I also think that goes back to ourselves. Because if we're saying our patient's whole self matters, then how are we bringing our whole selves to our workplace? If we are saying our patient's whole self matters, but you are really adhering to those very sterilized, professional, very one-sided dimension of a healthcare professional on this side of the counter and a patient on this side, then I don't know if we'd be able to reach that depth of interconnected healthcare because it's interconnected. It's as much about the provider as it is about the patient. I really appreciate this perspective. And I I feel myself as a pharmacist siloing care, right? Really zeroing in on this prescription that I've got in front of me and, you know, the best job that I can do for this prescription. And I can see how even just the beginning of an interaction in a pharmacy, right? What that might look like, someone coming in that might be distracted when they're passing that prescription off and thinking about them as a whole and what else is happening for them and what else happened when they picked up that prescription is really important because we might assume that distraction is something completely different than what it is. So I really appreciate that. I did want to ask a little bit about maybe some myths and misconceptions about Indigenous care. And Tammy, I might start with you on this one. Are there things that you've encountered 
from, particularly in the pharmacy world, that might be a myth or misconception about Indigenous care? I always look at Indigenous health as a patient-centered way before that term started being used in the healthcare system. Uh, it's not a one size fits all. We need to be respectful of who the individual is, who you're serving, aware of the cultural differences and also level of understanding in a way to build meaningful engagement and relationship, which are really key to be able to uh, engage with the individual, understanding all that. But setting aside any preconceptions, uh, assumptions, or biases, right? How we need to take a deeper dive, not only with social determinants of health and looking at the health and social landscapes. So we tend to look at um, health and then wellness, like separate. So health is your the disease, but the wellness part of it is really looking at the health and social landscape within the communities, because we do face a lot of challenges within our communities. And so I wanted to understand how other sectors um, dealt with individuals, because those same individuals, at some point, uh, we encounter them. So I sat on a lot of boards, various boards, was a local police commissioner, uh, provincial and Canadian police governance. I sat on those boards, health, education, women, shelter, addictions, treatment centers, um, and looking at things from a different angle, but always going back to uh, looking at uh, trauma and systemic racism that is very evident in our healthcare system. So as a result, I look at an individual as a whole in terms of um, their spiritual, mental, physical, emotional self. So I, because of that interconnectedness is how I approach the individuals. It's not just they come in for whatever reason, they need medication for that. But understanding as a pharmacist, you would know the medication that they're taking there obviously is something going on with them. And it's not just because they're not feeling well, but other areas of the person Yeah, I think I used the wrong word. I said myths and misconceptions. And what I was trying to get was a sense of maybe some false assumptions that pharmacy professionals have made, right? And Tammy, when you talked about, you know, the assumption that we sometimes put on around compliance, what led us to that? So thank, thank you for um, your answer to that. Before we move on, I do want to spend a little bit of time chatting about traditional medicine and the role of traditional medicine. Tammy, if I can start with you, and if you can give us a little bit of insight into the use of traditional medicine and how pharmacy professionals, particularly those of us that practice in, in this Western, is that what we call it? Western medicine? Colonial medicine? What do we call it? Western? Well, okay, I'm seeing nods. Okay. Yeah. How, how do we ask about, talk about, encourage, you know, support the use of traditional medicine? So lots of questions there, Tammy. You start wherever you'd like to start. Okay, so I'll speak. My great grandfather was a medicine man, and I was very privileged, you know, that he shared some of that knowledge with me. Um, my, one of my older sisters, I have three older sisters, but the second oldest sister and I were always tasked by our grandfather to pick some of the roots that he used for healing, right? And, and this has been prior to colonization that we've had. Um, 
you know, medicine, medicine men or medicine women. I actually did my paper on Western and traditional medicine way back in the time. And I <clears throat> interviewed some elders that I knew had some knowledge in those areas and from my experience with my grandfather, right? So back then, what I learned and in speaking with my grandfather was not, they're not very forthright in terms of um, speaking about what they do. We do know that they use plants, herbs, you know, roots and all that to treat. Each of those have a specialty. My great grandfather was a medicine man, but he had a sister that was a medicine woman. So when I talked about asking questions, um, so one of the things that always came up was that because I'm a medicine man doesn't mean I can treat all ailments. So maybe I'm limited to certain parts of the body, the anatomy, but there is someone I know that specializes in maybe cancer, respiratory problem, you know, all those kinds of stuff. So they would make those kind of referrals, right? So that's where I learned. And my grand, great-grandfather, my mother was his first grandchild. And so he taught her a lot of stuff. So she had that transfer of knowledge to be able to make um, brew. And that's what they used to help treat people. So whatever they put in, in the mixture was not something they would broadcast, right? They would say certain maybe bare root and all that's really good for pain, pain medication, you know. There was, so there was um, different stuff that um, they would use and a few they would share. Someone just wasn't feeling good. There would be brew that's made. The person would drink it for four days and, you know, that kind of stuff. So in my, um, you know, experience working in health, um, and as manager for our long-term care facility, we had a lot of elders in there. And of course, a lot, a lot of times elders have um, a lot of issues, health issues, but some of them would come right out and say that they would like to be able to have some brew from a medicine man. I would talk with the pharmacist and say, okay, this is what they want to do, right? I would like to honor that their elders, the pharmacist will say, okay, well, what is in the brew? And I said, well, I don't know, right? So what they would then say is um, it, as long, there wouldn't be an adverse effect with the medication that they're currently on, right? And I think that from a pharmacist perspective was something they had to be careful, careful of. I was able to acquire that knowledge and be able to um, allow that to happen in our long-term care facility. It's a choice for the elders and um, it was acceptable. Abby, that is amazing. You have such a rich and vast history. And just with the fact that your family has been dealing with, you know, traditional medicine, it's amazing. Now, Jazina, for you as a pharmacist, what's kind of been, I guess, your take on traditional medicine um, within the pharmacy? Yeah, and this is honestly being part of Indigenous Pharmacy Professionals of Canada. We've brought up this with each other. We've had discussions about it. We wanted to see if we could reach kind of a an understanding that we could publish as a position statement. And really, so far, the consensus is there is no consensus. So my personal opinion on traditional medicine as an Indigenous pharmacist 
is I actually don't think that non-Indigenous pharmacists have any role in traditional medicines whatsoever. I think that having non-Indigenous pharmacists continue to ask about traditional medicines, I think shows that there's still a mindset shift that needs to happen. Because when we're looking at traditional medicines, the idea where we focus on drug interactions, where we focus on what's in it, that is still a physical lens. We're not talking about the fact that seeing a medicine person brings a certain spiritual element of accessing your culture of receiving teachings from the medicine about the emotional mental well-being you have from being able to access those services and feeling safe and connected to your culture and your ancestors and the land and all of those things and so i just still think that and i get this question a lot and i always have but i always redirect people away from the question because i think it just goes to show that people are still focusing on the wrong aspects of Indigenous health. It's not about medicines, you know, when we are even looking at Indigenous health. It has never been about just medicines, but it makes sense because we're pharmacists and the way we learn, we're drug experts, right? We know about medicines and we know a lot about them. I just think that the shifts that need to happen is still part of the colonial structure of the idea that traditional medicines are a second best to our current medications, or that traditional medicines are something that's tried first just to see if it will work, or as a way to be a non-compliant patient. It's just obvious that the view of traditional medicines is not that they're very normal, healthy, you know, evidence-based, indigenous evidence on their efficacy and safety in our people. And so I think that the idea where we focus on drug interactions with our Western medications, well, that's not really what's important at the end of the day. And you will never find a medicine person that's going to tell a bunch of non-Indigenous people what's in our medicines because medicines are sacred. The idea that even as a Western society, we would think to ask some of the most sacred knowledge that Indigenous people have and expect that as a society, we could handle that when we can't even handle the most basic non-sacred information. It makes sense to me why people want to know about it. And I know that it's part of that brainstorming process that is thinking, well, how do we improve Indigenous health? Like, oh, well, Indigenous people have their own medicine. Maybe we'll just use that medicine. I get why we go that route. But I also think, you know, traditional Chinese medicine, for example, is a very, very robust discipline in itself. It's very evidence-based in terms of non-Western evidence and, and its use among generations. And I just think that the average person is not going to know anything about Chinese medicine, let alone be able to use it with their patients. And so I think that really, when someone brings up that they're using traditional medicines, I think it's the response that matters. And I think it's the response that is what has been the issue. Like Tammy was saying, somebody bringing up about wanting to use traditional medicines and our first pharmacy thought is, oh my God, is there going to be a drug interaction? And am I going to be liable for this? Is Are they going to be hurt from this? What is the risk? We think about the risk. But I also think if we reframed risk, what is the risk of only treating someone's physical health? Well, we see the risk because we see all of our health indicators for Indigenous communities in the ways that we see higher rates of mental health issues and suicide and all of those other things that we know are related to trauma and healthcare. 
I think personally, the risk of those things, the risk of having that be untreated is a lot higher than the risk of theoretical drug interactions, in my opinion. Okay. I need some help navigating this because again, me and my silo brain, right? So I just want to navigate the, I don't know if I want to call it an intersection or what I want to call it, but Western medicine and traditional medicine, because I want to honor that there is another option. And I don't want to assume that someone in front of me wants the care that I'm about to suggest to them. So Jazina, like, how do I then ask just to make sure that I'm honoring uh, that there might be another way, but not assuming that you want my way? Yeah, that's a a really good question. And I think when I think about traditional medicines or really Indigenous health and Western health, I really think about them as parallel but interacting systems. And so it's not like they don't overlap and it's not like they don't coexist. They do both of those things. And so I think when we're trying to And I always get this, you know, I want to be able to make sure that patients know I'm a safe person, that I have knowledge about this, that I'm there if they want to talk to me about this, but I don't want to just like talk to any person who's like a little bit dark that it might be native. I don't know, you know, like just the idea that we're trying to really encapture this desire to be a safe space for our patients, especially our Indigenous patients. And I see that for a lot of my coworkers, and I think it's really sweet. And I know that it makes me feel really um, optimistic about pharmacy. But for me, I always frame things in a way that is so open-ended. And when we look at trauma-informed care, really asking open-ended questions and allowing people to reply without fear of any sort of backlash, that is important because really a, a long history has shown Indigenous people that accessing Western healthcare is not safe. And especially identifying as Indigenous is not safe. And even still, even if you're the most perfectly safe healthcare professional, even me being an Indigenous pharmacist, there will be some patients that will just never feel comfortable accessing Western health. But I think it's also making, we talk about this a lot in Indigenous spaces, but making space for everybody, no matter what part of the journey that they're on. And so for me, this would just look like asking a really open-ended question where you know, we're talking about, say, blood pressure medication, and we have, well, blood pressure diagnosis, somebody comes to your pharmacy, they're starting a new blood pressure medication, and you want to talk about blood pressure with them. And so they come to your pharmacy, they have this prescription, they're like, well, my doctor told me to fill this, but I'm not sure about it. And you know, we have these questions all the time about health and wellness, and should we take this risk versus benefits? Those are lots of conversations that we have. And I think, the way I always frame things and the way I always position myself is that it becomes really obvious in the way you speak about Western healthcare when you know it's not the way, when you know there's not one truthful way to be healthy. And so that would be like, we're dispensing this medication and I say, well, have you tried anything else to manage your blood pressure? And to make things like really like so non-threatening for patients, I say, well, some of my patients use traditional medicines or other kinds of treatments that they've heard from friends and family to treat this. Have you tried anything like that? And that just gives an opening to allow people to tell you in their own words. And I think as you start to really reflect and build on a holistic practice, and that's something that will start to show through to your patients, asking really open-ended questions like that will start to get you answers that you would have never expected. And so it's just something as simple as, 
well, what do you know about high blood pressure? Is there anybody in your family that has tried this before? And I always like to frame it as like, you know, it's like kind of like a buddy, like a nudge, you know, like, well, other people do this. What about you? Like I always frame it in a way that makes it seem like they're not the only person. And in reality, they aren't. There's lots of people that talk about the same things. And so I think that's just such a good way to really communicate that you're aware, but also at the same time, make sure that there's no pressure on the patient to self-identify because recognizing that our Western healthcare system still has a lot of problems with safety beyond what like any individual pharmacist could rectify, right? Like we operate within a system that at times and still at a policy level is unsafe in different ways. And so there's no way an indigenous or an indigenous or otherwise any individual pharmacist is going to be able to say, you can trust me because we're all part of the system. And so I think it's just recognizing that when we have the ability to interact with patients, when they give us this, you know, blessing, this access, this, this desire to connect with the healthcare system, I think that we can show that we are open to all avenues of health. And we recognize that pharmacy is certainly just one of them. And I tell people all the time, like, even when I see my patients, in reality, sometimes you see these people, like if they're just filling their meds every three months, it's like five minutes. It's like five minutes of every three months that you're going to see somebody. At the same time, we have a lot smaller impact than we think, but the impact that we do have can be way bigger than you could ever imagine. When we have those access points, those connect points, trying to be as trauma-informed and as open as possible allows us to really connect with our patients. And so I think it's just setting the stage that you're like, hey, I'm here. I know about these things. I'm open to chatting about them. If you don't want to talk about it, I respect that too, because I also understand how difficult that it might have been for you to even access this healthcare service today. And I think just that balance and humility, like recognizing we want to help in any way that we can. And this is what it looks like. And also recognizing that these people are accessing health in any way that they can. And that's what that looks like. And we just wonderfully meet together as a patient pharmacist interaction. Okay. Ooh, lots to think about there. I just have to say how grateful I am to both of you, Tammy and Jazina, for the safe space for me to ask these questions and to give for you to give such generous responses because I feel a little bit naive in asking this and I don't even know if I should ask it, but you can tell me not to. Again, because of how my brain um, works and my training in the healthcare system, I want to ask about access to, to traditional medicine. What does access look like? Is there a role for pharmacy professionals in, I talk about access to the healthcare system all the time in my world as a, as a pharmacy professional, right? Oh, here, we could direct you here. We could direct you here, direct you here. Is there a role for pharmacy professionals to play in helping to direct people who might want to use traditional medicine? And yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that, and I always have said before, and my position really remains similar is that I think pharmacists were so accessible. And when we're safe spaces, we are able to direct people. But the thing is, it'll be very hard for the average pharmacist to know where to find a medicine person. I do not expect any single community pharmacist to know where to access one. And even within my nation, we don't technically have a, a medicine person even designated. And so access itself is a completely other issue. I, but I see nothing wrong with 
And I think it would be wonderful for pharma for pharmacies to be able to promote any knowledge of services that they do have. And so say you're lucky enough to be in a space where you know of a medicine person, that could be something, you know, if you have a poster in your pharmacy, if you, if you talk enough with one of your patients where they mention about traditional medicines, like, oh, well, did you talk, talk with so-and-so? This is a medicine person that I'm aware of. Those are just ways to really pass on knowledge, really in a knowledge sharing way. I just think that it's such a sweet consideration for community pharmacists to want to be that access point. I just think it's really unreasonable, like just unattainable for a lot of community pharmacists to know where that resource is, especially when a lot of Indigenous people themselves have trouble finding access. I don't know if, Tammy, you have anything to add about that. So I have to say my community is quite fortunate to have one and and the individual um, so accessing the individual, he never turns anyone away. Um, he's quite busy. He actually has people from BC, Saskatchewan that come and see him. And throughout our province, even from the United States, people come. So he he's pretty busy. I've been very fortunate during my time when I was manager for our clinic, our doctor's clinic, our pharmacist was uh, one of the first um First Nation pharmacist, in, in, and he was from our community. So he opened up um, his pharmacy there, and he was a really nice guy. Uh, just his approach, body language, how, how he spoke with individuals. He was very well aware of the trauma, our history, and so he was very approachable. Um, if people wanted to go through the alternative of uh, traditional. He didn't deny them that. Yeah, go ahead. You know, if that works. If he himself saw that the change in the individual going through the traditional, you know, he wouldn't uh, hesitate to say, yeah, maybe try that. You know, it wasn't about me trying to earn money or not all that being a pharmacist and that. It was truly uh, having that connection with the community and that. So, and, and just to say that the traditional medicine men or women are kind of rare now, and um, I often worry about the, the one we have in our communities. He's in his 70s, and hopefully at some point he would transfer that knowledge to someone that would be able to continue so that we're able to ha- access that. Thank you for listening to part one of Indigenous Wellness. We split this episode up because our conversation covered such a wide range of topics and we didn't want to cut any out. Part two of this episode will discuss the principles of trauma-informed care and how to engage in more person-centered care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pharmacy Perspectives, Providing Safer Spaces. Our podcast hosts are Kelly, Kim, and Ryan. This podcast is a joint project created by Alberta College of Pharmacy and continuing professional development for pharmacy professionals based out of the University of Saskatchewan. Our producers are Mary Fraser and Pamela Timmonson. Editing was done by Anwen Dyko and our music is by BJ Cat.